Welcome to Chi Alpha! How are you guys doing today? We are in a series. We've been walking through the Ten Commandments. It's called the Big Ten. Okay, we're looking at the Ten Commandments. Maybe you grew up and you memorized these things, and you're like, heck no, I did not memorize these things. I think I can maybe name five or six or seven of them, but I can get at least one because we did it last week. Okay, but tonight we're going to be looking at the Second Commandment. What we know about the Ten Commandments is that they were given to the Israelites after the Passover, right? They'd spent some time in Egypt. They had been enslaved, and God had led them out in what we call the Exodus. Okay, they leave after the Passover, they go out into the wilderness, and that as they are going out, God reminds them of his covenant with them. He reminds them of the relationship that he has been in with them and what he wants for them, believing that he's not trying to keep good from them, but he's trying to keep good for them. And he gives them these ten commandments, the big ten we've been calling them. And as we learn what the Israelites learn, we then also realize how these ten commandments can revolutionize our lives. What we also know is that the Ten Commandments have been the foundation of Western civilization. As we look at Western civilization and see laws and moral codes that have been built, they have been built around the basis of the Ten Commandments. And so it would do us all well to learn these things, to commit them to heart, and to see what the Lord would speak to us today as we read His Word together. But hey, before we get into the Ten Commandments, I have a question for you. Have any of you ever heard of the uh, Mandela effect? Yeah, yeah right? Okay, this is, this is a pretty cool thing. Okay, so it's this idea that uh, things are not always as we remember them. And as we see them, it's like, wait a minute, which one is it? So I've got a couple of examples of the Mandela effect that, that really struck me this week. And we're going to see how good you are and what your memory of things are. And so here is our first picture. Curious George. Uh, does Curious George have a tail or not? Oh, wait. It, would, uh, it, it would make sense that he would have a tail, right? But I don't know, like, is it... Okay, uh, so the next slide, it doesn't have the actual answer. I'm just going to tell you the answer. It's no tail, okay? Good job, good job. But like, when you see that, you're like, oh, I don't know. And I saw it, I was like, I... He, if it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey. Right? And if it does, then you know what I mean? So that's what it's got. To, so there you go. Uh, okay, uh, here's the next one. Uh, I think this one is a phrase, okay? Uh, I've never, okay, wait. I've never seen Star Wars, okay? I don't care to see Star Wars. Okay, at this point, it's, okay, right? I'll, I'll wear it. I'll wear it. At this point, it is a point of pride that I have not seen them, okay? My kids watched them. They've seen them, but not me. No way. 38 years old, still holding out. Okay, is it, uh, this is, I, presumably this is a spoiler alert, okay? So sorry, but if you didn't know this at this point, that's on you, that's not on me, okay? I'm not going to wear that for you. I, do, I don't care. Okay, is it Luke, I am your father, or no, I am your father? It's no, right? But everybody says Luke. Like, I've never seen the movie, but that is definitely the quote that I have heard. It wasn't. I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not giving you any context, because I ain't never seen it. I got no context at all, okay? I know in one of the movies there's a pod racer, but I don't even know what that means. Okay? I know, right? But isn't that fascinating how we get things, like we think we know it, we get it caught up a little bit. Okay, here's the next one. Like, how many of these are there? I think there's four, don't worry. 
Okay, the Monopoly Man. Uh, monocle or no monocle? Monocle, monocle, no monocle, no monocle. Monocle, monocle. Okay, here, the Monopoly Man is no monocle. Yeah, okay, you're getting him confused with the planter's peanut guy. Oh my god! You think that's exactly what happened to you? Oh! Stop for sure! Nope, the Monopoly Man has no monocle. They're brothers. <laughs> They're real deep with it. They're... Alright, last one, last one, last one. Pikachu! Black tail or no black tail? Black tail or yellow tail? <laughs> okay, uh, it's yellow tail. There is no black on Pikachu's tail. Crazy, right? Yeah. Some of you got four out of four. Congratulations. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost gone. It's, it's a potato. That's not chicken. Uh, um, and so, okay, look, that was fun, right? I hope that was fun. I hope you, you know, had some banter back and forth. I hope that I uh, confused you all about the fact that I haven't seen Star Wars, but hey, you know what? I don't care. The point is, it's fun in games when we misremember things when it comes to uh, internet characters. It's fun in games when we misremember things as we have discussions amongst ourselves, but what happens when we misremember who we're supposed to be? What happens when we get that just a little bit sideways? What happens when we think we're supposed to have a cert, we're supposed to have a tail, but we're actually not supposed to have a tail at all? You guys are like, that is the dumbest example, right? I was trying to go back to Curious George, I maybe shouldn't have, okay, it was a little too aggressive. Yes, we do have a tailbone just in case. Um, and here, here's what I want to. Here's what I tell you. I think that the second commandment we're going to look at tonight is answering this question: What could happen when we get a little bit sideways with misremembering of who we're supposed to be? And that's why I love that we're going to be looking at this passage tonight. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. If you're here last week, you're already there. Yes. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, we have them available to you. You can keep it. You can write in it. You can have it. You can love it. You can sleep with it. You can do whatever you want with this Bible. They are available in the back. Just throw your hand up in the air and wave it around like you just don't care. And we will come around and pass them around to you. Exodus chapter 20. We will be in verse uh, number 4. Just a reminder... Uh, maybe you were here last week, maybe you weren't, but one of the things that we're going to be doing this semester as we study the Ten Commandments is we're not only going to be looking at the commandment in Exodus chapter 20, you can read ahead and see where we're going, right? Um, but we're also going to be looking at New Testament passages to see how Jesus interacted with the commandments, to see, to give us a little bit more fuller context, um, and to understand how we can exactly apply this to our lives today. All right, so let's begin reading Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. So if you open it from the beginning, you find yourself in Genesis, the book of beginnings. If you just turn right just a little bit, you'll get to Exodus. If you find yourselves in Numbers, 
Don't worry, there's a talking donkey at the end. It is worth getting through the beginning. Okay, it's a wild story, okay? And people are like wondering, like, why am I reading this? Because the donkey talks at the end, okay? It's a little nugget in there. It is, it, it is crazy what will happen to you if you commit to reading the Bible. It is crazy the stories that you will read. Is, it is crazy the way in which God will interact with you. I cannot implore you enough, Chi Alpha, to read your Bibles, to study this for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Okay, read this with your with your core group. Read this with your sweet mates. Read this with your housemates, and and read this on your own. Go Dukes. <laughs> hey, this weekend was pretty good. Pretty good weekend to be a Duke, right? Like, wow. Um, good. <laughs> Feels like there's a story that. It, we don't need to tell it right now. Uh, all right. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. God says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments all right our our uh, commandment is a little bit longer than last week's right like last week was a one-liner but this week we get a little bit more information and as we talk about this commandment i want to take it in reverse order okay i want to deal with the second half of the commandment first and then come back to the first half because i find the second half to be something that we very rarely talk about right whenever you've heard people talk about the ten commandments as we talked about what is the second commandment maybe you grew up in like an, um, a church that uh, I grew up in a church that said you shall not make any graven images. I'm like, I don't. I, I, what does graven mean? Okay, and so you know, the Bible now says that you should not make any images. But then there's this whole second half. It's like, and if you do wrong, if you hate God, God will punish you and your children to the third and fourth generations. It's like, wait, what? Like, how did that get left off? How did he fit that on the stone tablet? Like, like what exactly does that mean? Here's, here's one thing I want us to know, Kai Alpha. Here's one thing I want us to realize, that when we sin, the Bible calls uh, missing the mark sin. In the sense of where we have a way in which God would desire for us to live, and when we stray from that path, when we sin, when we err, when we make a mistake, when we do wrong, it has consequences. And the Bible tells us it, don't, it doesn't just have consequences for us, it has consequences for those that are around us. That sin affects the community of God. So the reason that, that I think that God says here he will punish you to the third and fourth generation is because in the ancient Near East, in the world in which the Israelites lived, they, they had this, uh, this community, this house that they lived in, that the, uh, that the, uh, the Hebrew word is betab. Okay, you guys didn't know as a Hebrew scholar. I'm actually not. Don't. That was a lie. Okay, don't don't believe that. Okay, uh, and in this sense, what would happen in the Beitab is that there would be one patriarch who would be in control of his whole family. He he would take them into his care. It would be his sons and their wives and and his and like these generations that would have lived under the same roof. And what we would have found is that there would have always been three or four generations. So when God says that, that as, you, as you hate me, as you sin, as you err, that I will then punish to the third and fourth generation, the Israelites would have heard this, they would have realized that it's the whole community that is being affected by this. 
And it's the sense that, that the things that I do don't just affect me. The idea that the, the decisions that we make only affect us is such a Western view of community. And that God tells his people as they're gathered, as they're in the wilderness, as they're looking for their way forward, that your actions have consequences, not just for you, but that your actions have consequences for everyone around you. And you're like, but what? Man, come on, God. Like, I didn't even do anything. Like, it wasn't me. Like, why does this have to be this way? I thought God was merciful. I thought he was kind. And then we realize that we read the rest of it. And what God says is that if you show love, if you follow me, if you're with me, I will bless you to the thousandth yeah. generation. I want to sit there. Yeah, but way more than that. Okay, so look, here's, okay, look, I don't, I don't do math, okay, evidently Mac does a lot of math, okay, I tried to do algebra today with my daughter, uh, and it turns out, like, I found out today they have changed PEMDAS to GIMDAS. No. No. Wait, no, wait, 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 okay, here's what you need to know, okay, PEMDAS, right, parentheses, right, okay, did you know there are other, like, so it, it's a G now, for gatherings. No, no, okay, okay, what do you, okay, what do you, what do you do with brackets? Is it groupings? Okay, whatever, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, so it's like this sense, okay, and then she had one that had a numerator and a denominator, and it's like, okay, that's a grouping, and so it was actually, I was going to say, it was, it was, it wasn't bad, I was like, this is, this is a little helpful, okay, I'm not sure if it's like, uh, Grace, excuse my dear Aunt Sally. I don't know how they remember us now, okay? But they, but she was writing it all out. We were working through it, um, and it was it was a little bit enjoyable. Okay, so I don't I don't do a lot of math, okay? But I'm I'm really good at the eighth grade level, the second week of school. Okay, I don't know what's going to happen as the school year continues, okay? But at this point, I've kind of like got this on lock, okay? But here's what I do know: when you compare three and four versus a thousand, you see the goodness of God. Okay, when you compare three and four versus a thousand, and you think about the, the potential that is in this room and the destinies that could be changed, the trajectories that could be changed, and what this could mean for families and lineages, that as you follow God, that as you love Him, as you obey Him, as you know Him, the blessings will continue. It won't be just you, because your actions have consequences, not just in the negative, but also in the positive. That as you are a person of the text, that as you are a person of the Bible, that as you are a person of community, it will have a ripple effect beyond your wildest imagination. And as God says this to his people, as he says this to us, that this is his desire to see blessings, that, that 1,000 is significantly, some might even say exponentially, more than three or four. And then as we get into the second part, which is actually the first part, okay, we made the switch from the second half of the commandment into the first half of the commandment. What it says is that you shall not make an image. You shouldn't make an image that is like anything on the earth or anything in the heavens or anything in the waters below. And what we knew about the ancient Near East is that they lived with images. 
There were idols. There were things that they would have worshipped, they would have believed had power, right? We talked last week about the different little G gods that would have existed, that they would have given credit to for the rain, for fertility, for favor in war. And they would have been these little tokens or treasures or trinkets or tchotchkes that they would have carried around, that they would have worshipped. And God says, do not create those things. Do not worship those things. In order for us to see a little bit picture on why God tells this to the Israelites, if you have your Bible, you can now turn to Matthew uh, chapter 22. So if you are new to the Bible, if you flip to the middle, it's going to be the Psalms, right? It's the biggest portion there. I'm just going to kind of keep going right into what we call the New Testament. Um, these are kind of the, in the first four parts of the New Testament are the gospel narratives, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These would have been all four uh, stories uh, recounting Jesus' earthly ministry and what we call into one big narrative called the gospel. Matthew is the first one that is recorded here. We believe that Mark's gospel was written first, um, but they all have the kind of same story as that they would have been disciples who would have lived with Jesus, would have known him, uh, and would have uh, written this story afterwards. And so we are in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, we are in verse uh, 15. The NIV subheading, if you're reading out of the NIV, says paying the imperial tax to Caesar. And already we don't like it, okay? Even if we are accountants. I did not know that there was going to be so much for you tonight, and so, but here we are. Verse 15, it says, Then the Pharisees went out. The Pharisees are some of the religious elite of the day. Okay, they would have been Jewish leaders. Uh, they're grouped into a couple different categories in the ancient Near East. Uh, there's the Pharisees. There's the Sadducees. We're going to find out. We're not going to find out tonight, but there's also this group called the Essenes that lived on kind of the edge of society, a little bit more zealous. Uh, but the Pharisees were the keepers of the law. Okay, And they went out and they laid plans to trap him, him being Jesus, as Jesus is disrupting their power structure at this time. Okay, we're towards the end of Matthew's gospel, and Jesus has been teaching and preaching and traveling throughout uh, the Judean countryside. He's been, he's been in and out, and he has been teaching uh, this good news of the kingdom. This idea that he wants to bless his people, that the kingdom is coming, and in fact, the kingdom is now here. And the Pharisees are like, yo, man, chill out. We kind of got a good thing going here, and I don't really want to hear from you. I don't really want to be a part of this. And so we need to trap him, okay? It's a trap. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Good. Um, good. Okay. Uh, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity. And Jesus says, thank you. Uh, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Okay, first of all, everybody hates taxes. Okay, like, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, you know what? This is going to be the way for us to trap Jesus. Let's talk about taxes. Okay, nobody wants to pay these taxes. And, and this idea that, that Caesar is in control, there would have been a saying that would have said, Caesar is Lord. What we know, right, because we know the end from the beginning, is that Jesus is Lord. And this idea that, that Jesus' kingdom was coming in order to interrupt earthly kingdoms, 
in order to interrupt spiritual kingdoms, that, that his is the kingdom that would never end. And then as he is moving throughout, he's like, he's like taking uh, some, some frustration from the Pharisees and from Caesar. And they're like, okay, you know what? We're going to pin him against Caesar. Let's trap him. And so, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And everybody's like, no, no taxes. Boo, we hate taxes. We want a flat tax rate. Everybody in the room's a socialist. You guys are like, oh, wait, no, 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 wait. Am I? Am I not? I don't know. I'm, a, I'm in college, so I'm supposed to be, but okay, well, okay, whoa. Hey, relax. I didn't say any of that. I didn't say any of that. Okay, feel the burn. Okay, no, no. Relax, relax. This is not on the record. No. So let's see what Jesus says. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, that is sometimes a very terrifying verse to me. Because I know the secrets of my own heart. Jesus, knowing their evil intent, says, You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. I've got a picture of some coins up here. This is not a denarius, okay? I think it's, who could say what those things are? That one looks Australian. This one, uh, that one says Rex, so who knows who that's from? Queen Elizabeth is over there. She's a real one. Uh, okay. Yeah, so look, here, here's what we have. We have these coins. Okay, coins in, you know, America today, right? If, okay, you guys don't pay with coins, so I just wasn't sure if you'd ever seen them before. That's why I put them up on the screen. Okay, I'm like, do they have you guys even, like, like what's, the, what's the inscription on your Venmo? Um, like, can, can you imagine Jesus, like, trying to explain this today? Like, like show me a coin. People are like, I, I mean, do you have a coin? I haven't seen a coin in years. I've actually never paid with a coin. Those things are useless. They're not even worth my time, okay? Like, I used to, okay, when I grew up, like, we would just carry pockets full of coins all the time. And I don't, like, and it was like, like, we just had huge calves just from carrying around just pockets full of coins, right? You guys are like, that's not true. You don't have big calves. You're right, you're right, you're right. But thank you for noticing, okay? Okay, so on the coin would have been Caesar's face. Okay, like we have Nichols, we've we got Jefferson, we've got Hamilton, we've got Lincoln, we've got Washington on our pennies, on our quarters, on our nickels, and on our dimes, okay? In Oman, if you traveled with me to Oman, if you traveled with Kaifa to Oman, right, you have, as you've picked up uh, coins and as you have carried around dollars, you've seen the images of the Sultan. You've seen the images of the previous sultan, uh, Sultan Qaboos, and that now as he has passed, we are now seeing more and more uh, money printed with the new sultan. Okay, and the old currency is like making its way out, it's being phased out, and that now this new currency will all have the new sultan's face on it. Would have been the same thing in Jesus' day, where the emperor would have phased out the old coinage, and the new coinage would have all had his inscription on it. Would have had his face and jesus says like whatever whatever's image is on that coin give it to them he says render unto caesar what is caesar's and then what does he say give to god what is god's and here's what i think the second commandment is trying to teach us 
It's about the doctrine of the image of God. God tells the Israelites, don't make an image because you are the image of God. Don't fashion something else that is to be worshipped because that is who you are. You are the image of God. You are the ones that have been made in His image and that you as humanity are different. You have been made special. You have been made valuable. You have been made responsible. And that, that as you live your lives, as you bear the image of God, be that. Live like that. Know that. Breathe it in and know that you are the image of God. So Jesus tells these disciples of the Pharisees in this moment, render unto God what is God's, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, because Caesar's inscription is on the coin, give it to him, but that God's inscription is on you. And give your lives to him. We could turn back to the Genesis narrative. You're like, this is so much turning. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation narrative. This should be on page one of your Bible. I just found a platypus. Oh, uh, hey. <laughs> I did. And I brought it back. It was in the same Bible. Yeah. Is it, is it still mine? I can, I'll bring it back to you next Great. time. Great. Yeah, that's good. Um, chapter 1, verse 26. God is at the pinnacle of creation. He spent... Uh, Several other days creating the earth and taking what was formless and empty, what was chaotic and bringing order into the world and, and fish and birds. And there's all these things that are a part of creation and everything is good. And then what we see in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And it continues, as all these things that will be used for, you, for food. In verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So what we see at the pinnacle of the creation narrative in the sense at the end of the sixth day, right before God would rest on the seventh day, he makes humanity. He makes male and female, and he creates them both in his image. And then as the, as the commandment would draw from this, like don't make other things because you are the image of God, as Jesus would bring this back, like render unto God what is God's, what we know, what we see, what we read, what we believe is that we are the image of God. Every single one of you in this room, every single person on this campus bears the image of God. And as we read this, as we understand this doctrine, there are a few things that I want to point out as I'm headed to a little bit of a close. This could take a while, okay? So don't... It's not like one of those pretend closings, you know, right? Okay, and there's, here's the three things I want to talk about. That we have a unique responsibility. No, nope, we have unique relationship. It was an R, okay? I was trying to remember it. Okay, we have unique value, and we have unique responsibility. 
This is what it means for us to bear the image of God. When we talk about being made in the image of God, what does this mean? How does it play out for us in our day-to-day? And these are the things that I want to talk about. One, we have unique relationship. We are able to be in relationship with our Creator in a way that the rest of creation is not. We're able to know God. We're able to be in relationship with one another, that we are made for community. That the sense that we can know and love and be known and be valued and live and, and that we can have a relationship with each other in this room that is fruitful and valuable and deep and meaningful. But even more so than that, we have been created and that we have been given the ability to know the God who made us. That we can commune with him, that we can talk with him, that we can listen to him, that we can hear him, that we can feel him. And some of you, as you've been coming to Chi Alpha these last few weeks, you felt these moments in your in worship or as you've been hanging out in core group where you're like, I don't know what this feeling is. I don't have, I don't have the vocabulary for what is happening to me right now. And I believe that at times that that is the tangible presence of God and he is making himself known to you in a way that he had not made himself known to you yet. And that as you have been living in this community, you are experiencing him in a way that is like altogether new, but altogether familiar. Because this is what you were created to be in relationship with your creator. To be known by him. The Bible tells us that, that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That he knew them, that he cared for them, that he hung out with them. It tells us that, that, is, that Jesus like tabernacled amongst his people, that he came to earth in order to be in relationship and so that we can be made back right in relationship with, with the God who made us. And so we have the unique ability for relationship because we have been made in the image of God. What I also believe this means is this makes us uniquely valuable. We have unique value. Okay, So what this means is that as, as you look out to campus, as you look out here, as you go through the festival drum, as you go through the line, what we know is that every single person has value. They have value because they are persons. They don't have value because of their social status. They don't have value because of their sexual status. They don't have value because of their past. They don't have value because of their bank accounts. They don't have value based on anything other than the fact that they are human. And they have unique value. They have been created by their maker and that he wants to know them. Okay, And because we believe that humanity has unique value, this is why Christians on the whole are pro-life. Now, I know that some of you just had a moment, okay? You're like, you, okay, that's not where I thought you were going to go with this, okay? And when I say Christians on the whole are pro-life, what I mean by that is I mean womb to tomb. Okay, that means that we, because we believe that humanity has unique value, we care deeply for the disenfranchised. We care deeply for those who have no voice. We care deeply for those who are incarcerated, and we want to put an end to the death penalty. We want to see like lives lived full and whole. We want to see everyone have a chance and that we believe that there is unique value in every single individual, no matter what. 
And this puts us in some difficult situations. It puts us in some difficult conversations. But we do this because we believe that it is the image of God and we believe that there is purpose and potential in every single person that we encounter. Chi Alpha, as you walk this campus, as you go back to your dorms, as you go back to your houses, I hope that every person that you see, you think that there is so much potential in them. And not just for them, but for the thousands of generations that would come after them. That there is so much that is within them and they have been made uniquely in order to know their creator. And that we would desire to see them come into that in fullness, in health. And it would be everything that they've dreamed or imagined and more. Because we have a unique value. I also believe the Bible tells us that we have a unique responsibility. That we as humanity have a unique responsibility to care for the earth. Okay? I, like, it, as we rule over the earth, that we have been given authority and we are to exercise that authority, but that we are to take care of the things that are around us. That we have been given this unique responsibility to care for the earth, to fill it, and to subdue it. And as there are things in this earth that are not right, that we should fight for justice. As there are things in this earth that are not the way that they should be, we should fight for what is right. We should fight for things that are good and that we have this unique responsibility. But I also believe that as we look at a world which desperately needs to know their creator, a world that desperately needs more access to the gospel, we know that it is our responsibility as image bearers in order to proclaim that others are image bearers also. And to go to those who don't look like us, to go to those that don't talk like us, to go to those that are in inconvenient places and present the gospel in a way that can be understood. To share with them the good news. To go in places where it is very uncomfortable. And for some of you, the most uncomfortable place is going to be your dorm room. In the hall in which you live right now and to share this gospel truth with your hallmates. For some of you, in a few weeks, we're going to be announcing our spring break trips. We're announcing that we're going to be going to places all over this world. You're going to be like, that is not a place that my parents would let me go. That is not a place that I even knew where to find on a map. And God's going to ask some of you to take the gospel on a plane into an uncomfortable place and to, to tell other people that they have been made in the image of God. Right, and so why is Christianity influential? Because this message that, that Jesus has given to us is not meant to be just kept for ourselves. And it's meant to help people move towards shalom, towards wholeness. It's not meant to beat people down. It's not meant to hold grudges against people. It's not meant to separate people into categories. Instead, the kingdom of God, what we know the kingdom is diverse. And so Christianity, like this religion, this idea, this relationship, is built for us to see other image bearers come into the purpose and potential that they have been created for, that they have longed for, that they don't always have the words for, but they, they know that they know that they know that when they feel it, like, that's it. This is what I've hoped for. The image of God is one of my favorite doctrines 
of theology to study because I feel like it is so pertinent to my everyday life. And how much different is my day-to-day, how much different could your day-to-day be as if you look around and you see everyone as an image bearer? No matter what they've gone through, no matter what kind of day they've had, no matter what kind of day you've had, that every one of us bears the image of God. In the sense that in the fallen state of humanity, we have seen this image be marred. We have seen it be, be scarred. We have seen difficulty. We have seen frustration. We can feel these things. We know these things are going on around us. But we know that there is hope. That hope has a name. That his name is Jesus. That as we share him with others, as we live in the potential of our own image bearing, we fulfill what the Lord would have for us in our community, in our Betab, and on down for a thousand generations.